0: Hello, you're listening to Sarah Archer in episode 198 of The Speaking Club podcast. Boris Johnson was talking to British businesses recently when he lost his place. To fill the awkward silence while he got his papers in order, he told a personal story involving Peppa Pig. But he messed it up. Perfectly illustrating that you can't make a silk purse from a sow's ear. I started this podcast for two reasons, because I want to help people recognize the power of stories and humor in speaking, and because I believe it's your message that counts, not the number of ums and ahs you use. There are some organizations that want to create robot speakers. They want you to sacrifice your personality in order to speak perfectly, but I want to let you know that you can be yourself and a sensational speaker. So, if you want to be a speaker that connects and engages authentically through stories, a speaker that gives value as well as a great performance, then welcome home. Hello again! Are you well? I am very excited because I just got my Christmas jumper themed around one of my favourite films. Yeah, it's Jaws. <laughs> now, you might not think that's very festive. But there are an awful lot of sharks around at this time of the year. Just look at the toy adverts. Anyway, thank you for joining me again. It's great to have you listening. And today I'm talking about one of the biggest reasons speaking is ranked higher than death in people's fears. Now, I became consciously aware of this thing in my early 40s. It's something I've struggled with all through my life and I still do today but I'm not alone. Because this is a struggle I see affecting so many people. And in a lot of ways, it's worse now than in any time before, because of social media, because of the internet, because of video and so on. And the trouble is, no matter how polished or accomplished you are at speaking, your impact is always going to be diminished. If this barrier gets between you and your audience. What is it? And how can you get rid of it? Well, that's what this episode is all about. And to start, I want to tell you a story about me and my mum. I love my mum. She's tiny. She loves shopping. And she's a worrier. That's worrier, not worrier. Although she's a worrier, but she's more of a worrier in this context. She worries about a lot of things, and there are not many times in my life when I remember seeing her carefree. But there was this one time that sticks in my mind. I think I was in my early teens, and Mum and I had gone to the airport to meet someone, and we were waiting around, and there were other people there, but it wasn't super busy, and we were both a bit bored. I think the plane had been delayed or something. All of a sudden, My mum looked at me, and with a cheeky grin, she started skipping, like a five-year-old on the way to a sweet shop. She had this massive smile on her face as she skipped around the arrival area. And I remember that at first I was a bit shocked, and I just stood there watching my mum being playful and having fun. But then I started looking around, and I saw other people were looking at mum too. And then I started to feel uncomfortable and mum carried on skipping and I saw more people were looking and then I started to get embarrassed. So I went over to my mum and I said, what are you doing? You're embarrassing us. And at first mum just laughed and she said for me to have a go too and carried on skipping. And that made me cross and I felt like everyone was staring at us. So I said to her, you're making a fool of yourself. I'm going to stand over there so people don't think we're together. And I stomped off in a huff. Typical teenager. And then mum stopped and walked over to join me and we stood next to each other waiting in silence. And remembering that makes me sad for a number of reasons. First of all, because I put the thoughts and feelings of those strangers head of my mum's. Also because I missed an opportunity to join in and enjoy a fun moment with her and because I realise now that I was selfish and made it all about me. I didn't have a clue what those strangers really thought about my mum skipping. They might have been admiring her but I was so worried about her being judged and me being judged by proxy that I ruined making a special memory. One that I could have looked back on fondly instead of one that I look back on with regret. And that is at the heart of the big problem I want to talk to you about today. The problem that can stop you from starting to speak or hold you back from being all that you can be as a speaker. The problem of worrying about what other people think about you. As I've said, I've been plagued by this throughout my life. And even though I've happily done stand-up comedy, acting and speaking, for me that fear comes to the surface when I need to have difficult conversations or I'm not in control or feel like I'm not in control, like when other people are being silly or I'm doing live video stuff where you can't guarantee people will watch. And the thing is, though, that there are at least six ways that I've seen Worrying about what others will think can sabotage you in relation to your speaking and marketing. And at first, I've already mentioned, and that's it can stop you before you even start, whether consciously or unconsciously, you avoid opportunities to speak and get your message to the people who need to hear it because you're afraid of failing and being judged. You imagine the worst things happening and that imagined fear, which isn't even real, I'm going to talk about in a bit, drives your ego to keep you small and safe. The second way I've seen it hold people back is a lack of preparation. Sounds bonkers, this one, doesn't it? But there's a subconscious thing going on here. And the logic we use is that if I don't prepare properly and it doesn't go well, then I have something to blame it on. And As I say, it's subconscious. It's not something we're conscious of thinking but then we've got lack of time and so on to blame. But one of the best ways to build your following and get more speaking opportunities is by doing a great talk. And a great talk needs preparation. The third way it reduces the impact and power of your communication is that it stops you being vulnerable. As I mentioned in the recent episode I did about conversations, and as Brené Brown covers in her brilliant TED Talk, The way to connect with people is by sharing your problem, pain, and journey. It's impossible to expect people to be open and real with you if you're holding yourself back. The fourth way worrying about what other people think of you negatively impacts your speaking is that it stops you from fully committing and sharing the passion you feel about your message. Your passion as long as it doesn't become preachy or judgmental is one of the things that will shine through your talk and bring people into your world. The fifth way that it affects your speaking is by stopping you from being fully self-expressed and bringing in your personality. Trying to be perfect instead of being yourself and dismissing ideas to make your talk more engaging before you've even had a chance to try them out or failing to use all of the performance tools at your disposal in the form of your body or your voice or maybe trying storytelling or humour. All of those things can be stopped by you worrying about what other people think of you. And finally, this fear can stop you investing in yourself to develop the skills to become a more powerful speaker Either because you're worried about what the class or coach might think, or you'll be behind other people, or because actually becoming better will get you more opportunities to be in front of people. And sometimes our subconscious doesn't want us to be successful because that will mean change and more exposure. Aren't we weird and wonderful creatures? Did any of those six resonate with you? How has worrying about what other people think shown up in relation to your speaking? So, having established that this can be a massive problem, the big question is how to solve it. Well, the first thing I want to say about this, you've heard me say it on here before, I'm sure, is that nothing I or any other speaking coach can teach you will stop people judging you. They'll do that no matter how good you get at speaking. It's human nature. In fact, when I teach people to do stand-up comedy, this is one of the first things we talk about. And that's because when a comedian walks on stage, everyone in the audience Will be making a judgment about them, the way they look, the way they dress, the way they move, the way they speak, and so on. So, right at the start of their set, they need to do three things. One, they've got to show the audience that they're in control, so that they can relax. Two, they've got to address the most obvious thing about themselves that the audience might be fixating on. And three. They've got to bond with the audience. And because of all of that, one of the first exercises I get my comedy students to do is stand naked in front of a mirror and observe and write down everything they notice about themselves. And I should say they do this exercise at home. When I tell this story, I usually don't mention that. And my wife, Emma, said, I really should make it clear that I don't make people do that in my class. So they do that exercise and then they come back into class and they stand in front of me and the others, fully clothed, and share what they noticed. And then the rest of the class shares what they notice about the person. Now, the funny thing is that we have blind spots or filters that influence how we see ourselves. So we'll miss things or distort things. And often there can be some big differences in what the person noticed versus what the class sees. And this can lead to some big ahas and funny moments for the person standing up and will also give them loads of material for what we call a bonding gag. And you've probably heard many comedians use a bonding gag as their first joke, especially. If there is something that really stands out about them, maybe they look like someone else or they have a particular body shape or hair color or dress a certain way. And by making a joke about this obvious thing and reflecting what the audience is thinking, it shows that they're in control. It allows the audience to relax and makes them likable. Then they can all move on and get on with the rest of the set and their other jokes. So, whilst there is nothing I can teach you that will stop people judging you, what I can share is some things that I've discovered to manage how we handle that. So, the first thing that you can do is make a commitment to play full out to get what you want regardless of what others think. Making a decision not to care about what others think, like in a good way, not letting it stop you do what you do, not being mean to people, is a great start. But it's inevitable that years of conditioning and thinking in a certain way will mean that at times we fall off the wagon. And the first thing to say is don't beat yourself up, just get back on continue on with that commitment. And the second thing to say is that there are some practical tips that can minimize the falls and help you get back on more quickly. And the first of these tips is something I've talked about before, and it's using perspective and humor to diminish and contextualize the fear that you might be feeling. When we bring our fears out of the shadows of our mind, out of the darkness bring them into the light, write them down or share them, that light automatically makes them less powerful. Perspective is a tool I used first with my stand-up comedy students and now with my speaking clients. When you actively stop to consider what the worst thing is that could happen, then what's the most likely thing that will happen? You can start to get some reality injected into the situation. Once you've done that, you can begin to compare those things to other things that you've had to face and conquer. And then after that, what other people are having to deal with in their life. And believe me, it reduces the power of those imagined things over you. Doing stand-up comedy is considered way scarier than speaking. So you can imagine that as their showcase Got closer, my comedy students got very anxious. So we'd always do this perspective exercise. And you know, for my comedy students, maybe the worst things that could happen were forgetting their set, not getting any laughs, fluffing up a punchline, someone saying they weren't that funny on their first gig. Um, getting all of that stuff out of their heads already resulted in some reduction in anxiety. And then when we compared all of those things to other situations they've had to overcome in their life or to the life and death situations that others around the world are facing, suddenly doing five minutes of comedy to a friendly audience didn't seem like such a big deal. After putting things into perspective, we need to proactively tackle the source of most of our fear around what other people think. And that isn't other people, but our own imagination. Your imagination can work for you or against you. And I want to show you how you can turn it from an enemy in this scenario to an ally. Imagined fear is unrelated to any immediate danger. It's a fear of something that might happen, not something that's happening now. And a man named Eckhart Tolle worked out that imagined fear is created when our mind is in the future and we are still in the present. And this creates what he called an anxiety gap. Now, the mind is a fantastic tool for logic, running programs and helping us work through problems. Think of it as an intelligent computer in your head. But just like in movies, such as another of my favorites, The Terminator, this computer is power hungry and it wants to take you over. It feels under constant threat and it creates this imagined fear to make you act in a way that ensures the best chance of its survival. And to gain power over you, it continuously spews out negative thoughts to keep you safe. Like a needy child, it doesn't stop trying to get your attention and it goes grows stronger by causing you pain and self-doubt. And I don't know if you've had the same experience as me, but I would never say to my worst enemy some of the nasty, twisted things that my mind has fed me in our time together. And if you succumb to these thoughts and you lose touch with the here and now, then the minions of your mind, worry, anxiety, tension and eventually phobia are going to fill that gap. And it's always Possible to deal with something that's happening in the present moment but it's impossible to deal with a fantasy that your mind has concocted in the future if you have a fear of public speaking or presentations because of something that happened once or you imagine could happen in the future or you think someone might say about you then we need to get your mind under control and serving you effectively Because an imagined fear that's left unaddressed is like a weed. It will grow faster and larger, choking the life out of the beautiful flowers around it, eventually ruining the landscape garden it lives in. Fears grow into phobias and they can take over our lives. When I work with my speaking students, we perform exercises every week that gradually increase in time and intensity leading up to their talk. So that by the time they do it, Yes, they're still nervous, but any imagined fear is minimized or gone. They've gained in confidence through creating their content and a combination of practical exercises, rehearsal and visualization. They've crafted their material. They know it thoroughly. They've practiced it with me or in front of the speaking club live members. And they've imagined themselves on stage. Now, visualization, also known as mental rehearsal, is such a powerful tool for turning your imagination from a foe into a friend and we can see the effects of it being used negatively uh, with this imagined fear but if we can control our mind and use it proactively and positively we can fool our brain into believing something is actually a memory through visualization um, and that you know we've done it before any matrix fans will be familiar with this concept in the film uh, the Matrix Neo simply closes his eyes, visualizes the martial art and opens them, knowing how to do Kung Fu. And the definition of visualization is recreating all the images, sounds and feelings in your mind surrounding an activity in order to practice it in a perfect environment. And uh, you've probably heard of this experiment, but there's there's a well-referenced an experiment which demonstrates how effective visualization can be. Dr. Bia Siotto at the University of Chicago took a group of basketball players and he divided them into three groups and tested each player's ability to make free throws. And after this, he assigned each group a different task relating to their practice over a 30-day period. Group one practiced for 60 minutes a day. Group two would only visualize themselves making free throws, but not actually do any practice. And group three didn't do either. And after 30 days, they were tested again and the results were amazing. Group one, who actually did the practice, improved by 24%. Group two, who did the visualization, improved by 23%. And group three didn't improve at all. Now, visualization is used commonly in sports, And combined with actual practice can give you an enormous edge. But using this same technique to tackle your imagined fear based on what people might think of you related to your speaking, combined with preparation, coaching and actual rehearsal will definitely get you results. And in my book, Cracking Speech Mate, I go into the roots of imagined fear and how to use visualization in much more detail. So do check that out if you want to get more on this. Okay, so visualization is a big help. The last tool that I want to give you to manage how you tackle this fear of being judged is the serenity prayer. And the thing you need to know about people who may judge you negatively, even if you do a brilliant talk, is that their behavior is based on their own baggage and insecurities. You'll probably know from your own experience, and I know I've done this, that sometimes when someone else is doing well at something we want to do but haven't done, it makes us feel inadequate and jealous. Consciously or unconsciously, this can result in feelings of resentment towards that person who is making us feel bad. And some people act on that resentment and try to pull you down. So as you can see, you can't control what others think of you. It's their own stuff. But what you can control is what you think and choose to do with your life. Now, the serenity prayer has become synonymous with Alcoholics Anonymous. But there's a lot in it that can help you if you're suffering from the anxiety that's caused by worrying about what others think of you. And I want to finish up by sharing the three lines that are most relevant to this issue. And feel free to substitute the word God for whatever word works for your religion or belief. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the things I can. And wisdom to know the difference. You can't change what people think of you but you have the power over your own life what you choose to do in it and how you choose to live it so here are my big takeaways for you for this episode first of all you are not alone if you worry about what others think it's part of being human but if you can get to the point where you don't care about what others think in relation to doing what you want to do then you'll become one of the most powerful people in the world. Even if you're an accomplished speaker, this problem may be stopping you from stepping fully into the most powerful version of yourself. Using context and contrast to examine fears takes their power away. You can use visualization to get your imagination working for you and not against you. And lastly, keep in mind that serenity prayer. You can only control your own thoughts, behaviours and actions. What other people have got going on, that's their business. Right then, I hope that was useful for you. And if that's energised and inspired you to start or improve your speaking, then do have a go at my free snackable story challenge, which is now on demand. You can take the challenge whenever you're ready to find and get better at using your personal stories to grow your audience and impact. And you can find out more about that and enrol at saraharcher.co.uk slash challenge. Or if you want to test your content or get more practice skills and coaching ready for a talk that's coming up or you've got in 2022, then do check out the Speaking Club Live membership. You get to work one-to-one with me and it's phenomenal value. Uh, But the price will be doubling in January, so it's a great time to join and be grandfathered in. And you can find out more about The Speaking Club live at saraharcher.co.uk slash club. Well, that's it from me again. Really do appreciate you listening. And if you like the show and it's given you value, don't forget to give uh, an honest rating or review. It'll just take you two minutes over at ratethispodcast.com slash I really appreciate it if you do that for me. And finally, do remember to go out, grab your life by the nuts and get cracking. Bye-bye. If you want to be more memorable and engaging when you talk, then you need to share more stories. Stories can help you better connect with your audience and their problems and get them leaning in more powerfully than anything else. And short, snackable stories are great to use in pitches, Facebook Lives, podcasts, videos, keynotes, webinars, blogs, in fact, everywhere to share your message and grow your business. The trouble is that finding your snackable stories and confidently sharing them can feel like a struggle. And that struggle can slow you down, or stop you in your tracks. But that's where my free snackable story challenge comes in. Over the course of just five days, I'm gonna give you resources, training and coaching to help you find your authentic personal stories to share and build your skills and confidence in sharing them. Not only that, but the challenge will guide you towards a tangible result at the end and assets for you to use going forward. The next challenge is starting soon, so to grab your space, go to saraharcher.co.uk slash challenge right now.